E Company of the 506th Regiment and the 101st Airborne Division and the Army endured some of the worst miseries during the already horrifying events of World War II. They fought in the Battle of Normandy all the way to the end. And in one battle in particular, the Battle of Bastogne, they suffered terribly. In one of the coldest winters on record, they were not issued winter clothing. For weeks on end, they couldn't make fires. They lived in hastily built foxholes. They were bombed incessantly. They had no hot food, insufficient sleep. Danger and stress were all around them. And they were concerned not only for their own lives, but they were concerned for the lives of their friends. And after those that lived through that battle, made it out of that fight and made it out of the next one and the next one and the next one, years later, after the war was over and those that lived through it reflected upon it, many of them lived not with bitterness, but with thankfulness. Because their terrible experiences had forged something that would later be called a band of brothers. The deepest of friendships. In fact, Private Don Malarkley, who fought in that regiment, he uh, would later shockingly write about the men he served with this. He said, quote, There is not a day that has passed since that I do not thank Adolf Hitler for allowing me to be associated with the most talented and inspiring group of men that I have ever known. The author of the book, Band of Brothers, Stephen Ambrose, wrote of them, quote, The result of these shared experiences in combat during World War II was a closeness unknown to all outsiders. Comrades are closer than friends, closer than brothers. He goes on, quote, They found in combat the closest brotherhood they ever knew. They found selflessness. They found they could love the other guy in the foxhole more than themselves. They found that in war, men who loved life would give their lives for them, unquote. Try and imagine having a friendship like that. One that would have you to go so far as to thank one of the evilest men in the history of the world because of his introducing them to a forging friendship that would be so deep and abiding that it was worth all of the pain and loss. It seems hard to be able to grasp to have a friendship that deep and abiding. But friends, it's real. And friendships like this, friends, are accessible to all of us. You don't have to go through a war to find it. If we were willing to do what it takes to get those kinds of friendships. Private Don Malarkey's comment illustrates the importance of friendships to our lives. He illustrates that meaningful friendships are so meaningful, so important, that they're worth suffering to gain. And the reason why is because friendship is as essential to life as family, food, water, and shelter. No matter what your income is, no matter what your marital status is or your earthly accomplishments, to have all of those five things, in particular friendship, is to have the good life. To have family, food, water, shelter, and a few good friends inside of the gospel is to have the good life, no matter whatever else you might have. But to have all of those things, family, food, water, shelter, and to not have friendship is to lose something essential to the human experience. 
And wisdom shows us this. It shows us that the wise person cultivates friendships no matter the cost because in those friendships is life. Big idea this morning, friendship is forged for life. Friendship doesn't just happen, it's forged. Friendship is forged for life. We will see this from our continued study from the book of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Uh, We've been considering this. Next week will be our final uh, sermon in the book of Proverbs. It's our normal practice just to work through books of the Bible. We've been taping these topics that Proverbs is talking about in order to learn wisdom. And wisdom we've been defining is this. Wisdom is joyfully applying God's truth for life. But before getting into wisdom, learning from Lady Wisdom, let's learn from Lady Folly about friendship so as to illuminate what friendship is. So we're going to start by considering what friendship is not so as to better understand what friendship actually is. So what friendship is not? Two things. Friendship, Proverbs teaches that friendship is not two things. Here's the first. Friendship is not isolating ourselves from others. Friendship is not isolation. Proverbs 18.1. We've seen this verse before. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, Lady Folly would instruct you to keep your distance from others. Don't let people in. Stay at home, stay at work, keep your face buried in a screen, or always go on uh, certain places so as to kind of keep people away from you. Or just sit back and try to convince yourself that others should befriend you. In other words, just do the kinds of things that don't let people come into your life. When you isolate yourself, you seek your own desire, it says. And wisdom says this breaks out, this assaults, not some, but all sound judgment. Guys, you've got to know that the evil one knows that we were created in the image of God. And God has been in friendship in the Trinity with himself. And so the evil one knows that to isolate is to annihilate. I can remember visiting the first penitentiary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The first place that they instituted solitary confinement. You go into these prisons and they have these little boxes where they would keep people alone. And the idea was a good one, right? Just sit them in there and let them think about what they did wrong so as to help them not do it again. But what they shared with us at that penitentiary was is it resulted in people often going crazy in solitary confinement. In fact, recent research shows that solitary confinement increases the risk of premature death and it can develop mental health conditions that pervade even beyond the solitary confinement. And so while this is an extreme case, you can imagine what lesser versions of this do. They may not be as drastic as solitary confinement, but evidently isolation from meaningful relationships develops harmful effects. We saw this in COVID, didn't we? But even before COVID, we were seeing that individualism and screens pushing us into isolation led to what now the U.S. Surgeon General calls, quote, an epidemic of loneliness. Isolation from meaningful friendships has so broken out against all sound judgment that an epidemic of loneliness is now happening in our nation 
such that it's on level of smoking, what smoking does to the body. That's what loneliness does. Wisdom has known this long before the Surgeon General. The ancient roads are often and always right. Wisdom has known that this, is, this epidemic is awful long before it happened. God is in friendship with him, himself and the Trinity, and we were meant to image that through family and friendships ourselves. Therefore, uh, to not have these relationships, these meaningful relationships, is to seek our own desire, and therefore it is to break out against sound judgment and therefore introduce varying forms of death in our lives. Isolation. And friends, that notion of isolation has an important implication that's worth considering. If isolation breaks out against all sound judgment, well, that would seem to teach us, right from the beginning of this, the two main ingredients that undergird all the other ingredients of friendships. And that is reciprocity and intentionality. If isolation breaks out against all sound judgment, therefore the implication is the opposite of that. That reciprocity and intentionality are sound judgment. Reciprocity meaning it's a giving and a taking. It's not just sitting back happy waiting for friends to be me. But reciprocity, going back and forth in relationship. Friendship cannot be one directional where you're only getting or mostly getting the receiving. That falls into the counsel of Lady Folly that says to seek your own desire. And intentionality, meaning you have to be deliberate in it, right? Give and receive from others. Friendship doesn't just magically happen by getting in the same room. You have to not seek your own desire, but that of others. And whoever is seeking your desire, you need to be seeking theirs. And again, that's what the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been doing from eternity. Investing in one another. Intentionality and reciprocity, not isolation. They have been intentionally uh, reciprocating in one another from eternity. And so to do otherwise, to isolate, would have been to break out against sound judgment in the Trinity and God would stop being God. And we, again, were made in his image. Therefore, friendship is not isolation, but it must include reciprocity and intentionality. Second thing that friendship is not. Friendship is not following fools. Friendship is not following fools. There's a number of these in Proverbs Here's one that's most illustrative. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. You heard this statement we use a lot here. You become what you behold. Well, it's also true that you are formed by who you follow. You are formed by who you follow. And when you surround yourself with people that are fine or even evangelistic about walking down the path of foolishness, therefore, they are not your friends, even if they say they are. They are not your friends. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, quote, Bad company ruins good morals. Kids, let me speak to you about this. Right? This is so important. You follow bad folks, kids, you're going to be formed by that bad. Choose your friends wisely. I can remember as a boy, when I was growing up in my community, there was a kid that we chose that we thought was our friend. His name was David Yao. I hope he's not listening to this. Uh, 
And we hung out with David Yao, and every single time we hung out with David Yao, literally almost every single time, we would get in trouble. One time even by the cops themselves. Such that my dad came to us and said, you cannot hang out with him anymore. He was understanding something. He was understanding this proverb. He was helping us see that bad company actually produces bad morals. He was helping us understand that David Yao was not really my friend because he was not leading me towards good things. Just think about how often we've heard the story of the kid that grows up in the church and seems to be interested in Jesus and, 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 and following Jesus and the like, and then goes off to college. And they kind of fall away. And there's a number of reasons as to why that's the case, but I guarantee you, at least, I should say, at least nine out of ten of the times, one of the ingredients towards them falling away from Jesus and hating the church and the like probably included bad friends, friends that people took the name of friends that weren't good friends. Bad company. Pay close attention. Kids, again, I'm speaking to you especially. This is true of all of us, but kids, I'm speaking really to you. Pay close attention to who you spend time with and what they are doing to you. You need both sides of that. Pay close attention who you're spending time with and what they are doing to you. That doesn't mean, I want to be clear about this, that doesn't mean that you should only have friends that are Christians. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that if you have companions that are leading you to believe lies or act foolishly, then no matter what you might call them, they are not friends. They're not true friends. Because the companion of fools only leads to suffering harm in the end. And no true friend, as we will see, permits you to suffer harm, body or soul. True friends are wise and endeavor to form wisdom in you. They endeavor to form that which is good, that which is life-giving in you. So friendship is not isolation, and it is not following fools. So then what, what does friendship do? How is it you know that you're walking the path of wisdom in friendship? Well, we've already seen in part that it involves reciprocity and intentionality. But in what ways? How might we know that it's happening? Four things that Proverbs teaches us about what friendship does, how you might know what a true friend is. First, what does friendship do? True friendship involves earnest counsel. True friendship involves earnest counsel. Take a look at Proverbs 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I can remember back when I first started dating my wife. She would wear this perfume, and it was wonderful, right? It was So she looked pretty, she acted pretty, and she smelled pretty. It was like the perfect trifecta. It was everything, right? And that's what true friendship does. Like it's that pleasant smell, Proverbs is saying. When they give that earnest counsel, it's like that pleasant perfume. It provides not just sweet counsel, but I want you to notice this. Did you look at the passage? It provides sweet, earnest counsel. It says earnest. You've got to include that. It doesn't just, hey, you know, hey, maybe think about this. But there's an earnestness. True friends have an earnestness in the counsel. I love how the NIV translated it. It, it, it translates as heartfelt advice. We talked about this a couple weeks ago from the Sermon on Correction, uh, Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And 
Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. True friends give heartfelt direction to each other's lives. Towards the sweet. Towards the beautiful. Towards the pleasant. Friendship is like having a good friend ride shotgun for you on that long road trip. Right? They're keeping an eye on the map. They're pointing things out as you go. They're checking to see how you're doing. They are... Uh, they see you kind of beginning to nod off. They insist on you pulling off the road, right? And you switch sides with them and they, they drive. They give you earnest counsel when you insist on this shortcut that they know is not going to be a shortcut. And they tell you, take the longer route because that ain't going to work, right? That's what friends do. They're like that guy riding shotgun, giving you good, earnest counsel such that when you arrive at the desired destination, you look back at their ministry towards all of you, towards you in their earnest counsel, and you thank them. Friends provide not just counsel, but earnest, heartfelt, meaningful counsel to help each other on towards life. They don't let you isolate yourself. They don't let you run with fools. They don't just sit passively back and let you make stupid decisions. You seek them out and they seek you out. And with love in your heart, you say to them, don't go this way or go that way. I'd recommend you, brother, sister, not do this. Years ago, I'm remembering when my brother, who is a dear friend to me, my older brother that said to me to this girl that I was dating before Andy, he told me I needed to stop dating her. And he would give me very earnest counsel about this. And I told him that he had it all wrong, that I was seeing it right. And, of course, he was dead right. But it was my brother's earnest counsel. I look back now. He was trying to love me, to get me away from this gal. My life would have probably gone better had it not been for that. Earnest counsel. This is what friends do. They give heartfelt direction to our lives so as to keep us on the road that leads to life. They say things like, hey, man, how, how, what have you been looking at online? Have you been making adjustments? Stop looking at that. Good friends will say, bro, uh, you said that you've been struggling in prayer. I noticed that you haven't been showing up for the prayer gathering the first Sunday of the month. Why not? I thought you said you wanted to grow in prayer. Well, you need to do something about that. Sister, this guy that you're dating is not leading you to healthy things. You need to stop dating him. That's what true friends do. And if they're not doing that, they're not actually good friends to you. That's what Proverbs, that's what wisdom teaches us. And this is a significant point. When we think about earnest counsel, there's an implication in that that we need to actually kind of double click on and think about for a second. To give earnest counsel assumes something critical about friendship. Namely, that there's something counseling towards. You're trying to get them somewhere. So it assumes friendship, in other words, has a goal, has a destination. It assumes there's something worth giving heartfelt advice towards. Friendships don't exist for friendship's sake. Say that again. It's so important. Friendship does not exist for friendship's sake. If you want friendships just to have friendships, you're asking something that only God can do. And therefore, that friend is going to fail you a lot. That's probably why you're so disappointed. Friendships don't exist for friendship's sake. They're trying to get somewhere. They have a goal. But if you have a friend who provides earnest counsel towards a particular goal for the good, for the life-giving, and away from the bad, there you found a good and a meaningful friend. 
friendships exerve, exist to serve in and towards some common good ideal. So you may have found friends in different places. You may have found friends in school or maybe with some hobby or, or some, some work, something like that. But no matter where that friendship began, the strength of that relationship will be directly proportional to the strength of the thing that forged you together and the direction is carrying you. So the reason why Private Malarkey can thank Adolf Hitler for introducing him to his friends is because their shared experience of war for the sake of some good cause, far larger than themselves, surged to so forge them in an incredibly deep bond because of the purpose of the forging of their friendship was so big and important. Likewise, on the other side, the reason why Americans are having more and more trouble finding and keeping friends is because so few people are forging relationships at all. But even when they do, it's often with more thin things like sports teams or maybe schools or just traveling in general. Fine things, but not deep things. Therefore, there may be friendships in place, but they are likely going to not get to the level of private malarkey because the forging of their friendship is built upon something that is far less transcendent, more earthy, more hedonistic, more recreational, more superficial. Those things are not bad, not wrong. I've got plenty of so-called friends like that, and they're fine. But those deep and abiding friendships is what we need. Those kinds of things that are going to be forged and transcendent magnificent, huge things, so as to give earnest counsel towards that. That's how we have deep and abiding friendships. And the more the purpose of that friendship has that reciprocity and intentionality, which gives earnest counsel towards something far larger than themselves, the greater that friendship will be. So for Christians, this would include, we might have all kinds of things that we're forging together in and experiences in, like caring for the poor or our families or missions or whatever. But even those things aren't the things that can sustain the friendship. It's the common goal of Christ and his kingdom, our direction towards that. All these other things are pathways towards that. The common goal of Christ and his gospel that leads to provide earnest counsel towards one another so that we would deepen our bond with what Paul calls the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's our earnest counsel that we're trying to get towards. Friendships have a goal. And for Christians, that's our ultimate goal. I have deep friendships in the church because I have given and received earnest counsel that matches that our collective interest in Christ and his kingdom. This, again, is what we do in church membership. I know we talk about this a lot in this church, but church memberships are important. If you want to kind of keep us at a distance, you're fine. You can do that. But church members, it says, no, we're going to kind of covenant together to do this together, to give eternal earnest counsel together. I'm not going to keep you at a distance. I'm going to open up my life. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you where I'm going. I'm going to do the same to you. Or we're going to help each other on towards heaven. That's the beauty of that commitment in membership. And if I am a Christian and I don't have these kinds of relationships, well, that might indicate that either I'm not being intentional to form them, or maybe I am and people are not reciprocating. That's not okay. Or a third option, if I'm a Christian and I don't have these kinds of friendships, is one maybe we don't think about much. Maybe you're just not really that into Jesus and his bride, the church. Maybe that's why. 
You don't have many of these deep, abiding, Christian, gospel-formed relationships. Because you're just not really that into Jesus. Christ and his gospel are more kind of a sub-goal of the relationship. Jesus, Christ, his, his church, his gospel, missions, these kinds of things, they're sort of like airplanes. You know, you're fine to have them, but they, you just want to kind of use them to get where you really want to go. But if we want true, deep, abiding gospel friendships in the church, we're not going to isolate ourselves. But in reciprocity and intentionality, we're going to give each other earnest counsel to one another towards all kinds of things, but especially the kinds of things that will get us closer to Christ in his kingdom. True friends intentionally give and receive earnest counsel in meaningful matters. Second thing that true friendship does. It gives earnest counsel. Secondly, it always loves. It always loves. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, the second part of that verse, guys, is meant to clarify the first. Okay? A brother is born. In other words, he's given for adversity. It's not a bad thing. It's just describing it. A brother is born. It's given to you. It's supplied for you. It's built in. And that's juxtaposed with a friend that chooses to love at all times. It's not born. It's not given. They've chosen to come in. So, for instance, when my oldest son went to the hospital, Elisha kind of had to come along. Right? Now, he wanted to because they're friends. He wanted to. Because they're true friends. But he kind of had to go. He was kind of born for that adversity. Right? God supplies us with brothers and sisters and cousins. They are chosen for us. But you may not always like them. Right? But friends are different. True friends, unlike brothers, unlike family, true friends chooses to insert their love all the time. Not just when it's convenient, but all the time. In adversity, on the good days, on all those mundane, boring days in between. See, friends, unlike what we've been led to believe, love is not primarily an emotion. That's important to understand. Love is not primarily an emotion. It includes emotions, but it's not primarily emotion. Love is choosing to excite life and another at the cost of self. That's 1 John 4.10, straight away. Love is that. Love is choosing to excite life in another at the cost of self. So the gospel literally is the definition of love. And so the, uh, that understanding then releases us. This is so key. That understanding releases us from the expectation that true friendships have to always have the warm and fuzzies all the time. Because they don't, right? Sometimes we annoy each other. I am confident I annoy my friends. Amen. You can laugh louder. It's true. I already know it's true, so you can laugh at me. So this is an unfair and unrealistic expectation for friends to kind of have all the warm and fuzzies all the time. But what can and should be expected in friendships are a decision to sacrificially take an interest in each other's life toward the good and life-giving things. At the cost to itself, to excite life in the other. Each of them doing that. In the good days, in the bad days, in the mundane days. That's why real friends are not the ones that show up on your doorstep when you get rich and famous. But they're the ones that are there for you when things are hard. They're especially there for you 
when you need to take an interest in diapers, right? You're so interested in diapers or sleep deprivation or work schedules are dominating your life. And you go in and invest in them too in those times. As one person has said, quote, a real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. True friends give earnest counsel. True friends always love. And I should quickly add Proverbs 25, 17. Y'all like this. Proverbs 25, 17 says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. In other words, right, true friends aren't over all the time, right? They let the friendship breathe a little bit, right? Just because you're supposed to love at all times doesn't mean you should be with them all the time, right? Give some breathing room. Wisdom teaches us to let the friendship breathe. All right. Third, true friends forgive one another. True friends forgive one another. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. And remember, a friend always loves. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. Quote, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. As it is in any relationship, any friendship, you are going to disappoint one another. It's going to happen. You're going to sin against each other. It's going to happen. There will be times, in other words, when you won't be a good friend. You didn't maybe provide earnest counsel. You didn't care about your friend's decisions. Or you failed to love at all times. And in those moments, the forging of friendships comes through forgiveness. The forging of friendships, they don't just happen. It comes through forgiveness. Indeed, the strength of any relationship is measured not only how you love each other, but also how you forgive each other. This is why two people can be fooled into thinking that they are the deepest of friends when everything has gone well. I can remember uh, many, many years ago, a couple dating, and like, we've never had a fight. This is one, marriage is going to be awesome. And I remember going, oh my goodness. Right? That's not the real world. True friendship is when you are loving and forgiving each other. So the strength of their relationship is when the strength of a relationship is exposed, when it becomes fragile, when it's become weak because of an offense against each other, and you fail to forgive one another, there your relationship has been exposed. Love and forgiveness, as informed by the gospel, are the forging fires that best unite friends. Love and forgiveness. And forgiveness is defined as absorbing the pain of the debt and clearing it from the guilty. Absorbing the debt, clearing the guilt from the guilty. And doing that in love. We see this once again in Christ. Just as Christ absorbed the pain of our sin on the cross, cleared its guilt away in giving us his righteousness in love. So it is in love, right? The the gospel defines forgiveness. And as it is the greatest of all relationships... Friendships are forged by love and forgiveness. Listen, hold on to somebody's sin and not forgive it. Well, there you will never have a friend. You will never have a friendship with that person if you refuse to forgive them. Not a meaningful one. 
Instead, you will be governed by bitterness and therefore death. But if you're willing to forgive in love, if you're willing to forgive them, you will discover the best ingredients known to produce the sweetest of life-giving relationships. Just think about our relationship to Christ in this way, in his kingdom. Think about the way in which love and, defi- love and forgiveness define it. Look at Ephesians 1.7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption. How? Through his blood. Not through our works, through his work. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We have it. According to the riches of his grace. So it was the love and forgiveness of Christ that led to the greatest friendship ever offered to man. And so as it is in the gospel, so it will be in our friendships together. Listen to the greatest friend anybody could ever have. Listen to his own words in John 15, verse 13. You heard David read this earlier. Greater love, this is Jesus talking. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his, down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus did. He was and is the true and lasting friend. He laid down his life to pay the debt of our sins. So as to clear that debt. And make us righteous in himself. That we might be his friends. The quintessential definition and example of love and forgiveness. Leads to the greatest friendship. Now listen to what Jesus even goes on to say right after this. John 15, 16. He says, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In other words, he's that friend that loves at all times and not just a brother born for adversity. He wasn't required, in other words, to show up on the good and the hard days. He chose to. He willingly chose to be your friend, Christian. He willingly chose to always love you, to always forgive you. He chose it. He chose to be your friend, Christian. Now the question is, have you been his friend? Have you chosen to intentionally reciprocate the love of which he has shown you? Now to be clear, there's nothing to forgive him for, but there was plenty that he has forgiven you for. And so will you be his friend by doing what he said in the very next verse. John 15, 14. Jesus says, you are my friends. How do I know if I'm your friends? If you do what I command you. Right? The friends of Christ are not just the ones that say that they're friends of Christ. In the same way that you're friends with Taylor Swift because you went to the concert and you waved at each other. Right? That's not friendship. Right? Friendship is not just, yeah, 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 Jesus is my friend. And you don't really even seem to care anything about stuff that he clearly teaches. That's not friendship. Jesus says, if you're really my friend, you'll do what I do. The thing that I died for you, gave my spirit for you, and gave my word to you, and my church to you to help you on, that's how you know that we're friends. So don't confuse friendship with Christ with mere sentimentality. Don't confuse that. True friends of Christ never get over his saving act. They endeavor to grow up into his choosing to get involved with folks like us. And if that's not you, friend, if you're the kind of person that is realizing maybe in this moment that your so-called friendship with Christ was more sentimental than it was actual, 
Well, friend, you need to know that you're not a friend of Christ. He gave you his word to make that clear to you. But you can be his friend by repenting and believing upon him alone. Not doing anything to earn it, right? But by repenting, believing, by trusting in his gracious invitation to invite you into the friendship. You can repent of your treating his friendship like an insurance policy. And coming to enjoy a relationship with him as evidenced by your joyfully endeavoring to obey his commands. And if that's you, friend, again, there's nothing you need to do. You don't need to go and work out, kind of earn his friendship. No, he's already done it. It is, you say it, finished. Right? It's done. There's no Christ on a cross. It's sufficiently paid for. Repent of all those times in which you've treated him like a terrible friend. You've been the terrible friend to him. And just trust him. Know that he'll forgive you. And then go follow him. And he'll joyfully make you his friend. Joyfully. He's not going to treat you like a second-class citizen and kind of say to you, like, all right, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'll let you be my friend for a week. We'll see how it goes. No. Turn from sin. Trust him. Know that he's died for all those sins, paid for them all, and brought you into his glad-hearted kingdom. Because, as wisdom says here in Proverbs, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. And that's what Jesus seeks with you. A loving friendship. Don't let anybody convince you that Jesus is out just to treat you like a slave. This is clear. He wants to be your friend. And friends, follow him. Therefore, he offers you friends. Gracious forgiveness. So that you can be his friend and you can be his. Following him, growing up into all that he is and wants you to be. And I promise you, friend, you will not find a better friend than Jesus. So as many of us can attest to in this room, we are better friends because Jesus first was friends with us by grace. So become friends with Jesus by seeking forgiveness from him and then extending that forgiveness to others in the same way. Because that's what friends do. Uh, They provide earnest counsel towards Jesus. They always love like Jesus. They forgive like Jesus. And fourthly and finally, they stick close like Jesus. They stick close. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now that word companions is meant to illustrate a relationship that is kind of light and fluffy, as it were, more superficial. That's what that means by a man of many companions. A man of kind of, you know, a bunch of acquaintances may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than in other words. In other words, wisdom says you can have a lot of companions. You can have a lot of kind of thin, superficial friends. But that man with a bunch of superficial companions eventually comes to ruin. He, we, all of us need something more than that. We need friends. And friends stick closer than family. Like the friend that always loves, the true friend is always near. Remembering Proverbs 25, 17. Don't be in the house all the time. But real friends stick together even more than family itself. I love an old professor that used to tell us that the gospel is thicker than blood. Gospel friends are like that. 
The Hebrew word used here is the same word that's used for the cherubim in the temple. If you remember those, remember you had the ark and the cherubim were bombed. They had those wings that were literally forged together. That's where that other word, that's where that word's used, sticking together. And I'm sure, sure as we try to understand what do you mean exactly by sticking together, I'm sure we could employ all that we've already talked about. Right? Friends stick together by giving earnest counsel. Friends stick together by always loving. Friends stick together by forgiving. But let me fill out sticking together with one more descriptor. You need to stick together by spending time together. Physical time together. Enough time so as to forge your lives together. See, friends, I can't help but wonder... If one of the reasons why Americans are increasingly having less and less meaningful relationships is because we are always on the go. We may not isolate ourselves in the strictest sense of kind of staying at home. But instead, by isolating ourselves from friendships through our moving all the time or maybe our traveling so frequently, we can't really spend time with people. Think about it. If you're going to do the hard work of building friendships, learning to stick together, it's hard to do that when either you aren't around much or you move frequently. And by moving, that means moving geography or moving churches. If you are in constant motion, then how are you supposed to stick together? It's easy to blame decreasing friendships on screens and tribalism or even work schedules. But how much of our lack of friendships is more directly attributed to our desire to get more square footage, more international experiences, or more money at that next job in the next state, or that other church with the better music. Maybe those reasons might have something to do with our decreasing friendships. And I'm not saying those things don't matter. I am fully understanding that all of those things are fine and good. I'm just trying to bring the wisdom of Proverbs to bear. Friendships don't just happen. They're forged by fire through common transcendent goals as well as counsel, love, and forgiveness towards that goal. And that it has to happen with meaningful time together. By sticking together, it demands time. But if you are in constant motion, don't expect to have a lot of friends. And to be sure, not everyone, I want to be clear about this, not everyone should be best friends with everyone. I'm going to relieve us from the responsibility of the members of this church, Right? Nathan Knight is the pastor of this church. I cannot be the best friend of 157 people. Right? That's not possible. But we can and should have a few good friends. We should be friendly with everyone, but we should endeavor to have a few friends that we've chosen to try and stick together more than brothers. And so as you evaluate why you do or don't have friendships, think about these things. Don't just ask Who's my friend? Ask, whose friend am I? Don't just ask, who's my friend? Why don't I have more friends? Ask yourself, whose friend are you being in these ways that we've discussed this morning? Who am I intentionally seeking reciprocity with? Who am I bound to in some meaningful things? Most especially the gospel of Jesus Christ and our eternity with him. Who am I giving earnest counsel to? Who have I opened up my life to to give earnest counsel to me? Who am I always loving? Who am I always forgiving? Who am I trying to stick together by spending some time together with him over the long haul? I was telling David this before the service began. David has been a member of this church since we formed it, 14 years. 
There's a reason why I'm close to him. He sat in my living room for months on end. He sat through my terrible sermons for I don't know how many years. I guess 14 now. Here we go. We're still going. This is what friends do. They stick together over the long haul, forgiving each other, loving each other. And so if you have friends, here's a call. If you're working through this stuff, you've heard the wisdom of Proverbs, and you're realizing, I've got some friends. Can I just encourage you to go tell them thank you after the service today? Or maybe call them up and tell them thank you. Go tell them. Go talk to them. Go tell them thank you. Right? Because, right, friends are not always as common as we're learning. One of the things that I love about this church is I see this stuff happening all the time in this church. I thank God for it. I don't know what's going on exactly out there, but I can tell you in this church, I've seen so many meaningful friendships forged from very different backgrounds too, by the way. Some of you know my favorite movie next to another movie is called It's a Wonderful Life. I love the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Do you remember the angel Clarence? Do you remember what he says at the end of the movie to George Bailey? He says to him, no man is a failure who has friends. So if you have them, thank them for being your friend. But if you are still needing a friend or two, take this wisdom from Proverbs and ask God to grow you up first in being a friend. Before lashing out at others for not being your friend, ask God to help you be a friend. Ask God to help you not always be on the go, to not isolate yourself or follow fools, to give and get counsel towards Christ, to love and forgive in the gospel, to stick together with some folks by sacrificing time and interest to stoke it up each other in Christ. Because friendship is not an additive to life. It's not a luxury. Friendship is essential. Like family, food, water, and shelter. We need each other. And God has built friendships to, as it has been said, to multiply the good and divide the bad in halves. That's what it's built for. And never forget that in Christ we have a true friend that is all of these things all of the time. He never leaves or never forsakes. He always sticks closer than a brother. Jesus always loves. He always forgives. And as evidenced by this sermon... He's endeavoring to give you earnest counsel towards his kingdom. So let's pray and ask God to give thanks to God for the friendships we have and pray for more.